You are listening to the Rising Phoenix podcast. This is a podcast about maternal mental health. Disclaimer, we are not professionals. We are moms who've experienced this ourselves and want to share our stories and stop the stigma. Heads up, some content may be triggering. We are recording from the Stone Sheba podcast studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and more. Hi guys, this is Lindsay and I am here tonight with my guest co-host, Amy. Oh, wow. (laughs) She was one of the first guinea pigs we had here on the podcast and we're so grateful that she agreed to come and co-host with me tonight. And our special guest tonight is Rachel. Hi. Hi, Rachel. Excited to be here. <laughs> Are you <So> really? <laughs> nervous. Nervous maybe is more a better way to describe it. Right. Don't, don't be nervous. <laughs> it's going to be great. Um, so, Rachel, start out by telling us about yourself. Yeah. Well, I am a native of Utah, specifically okay. Utah County, born and raised. Uh, I've been married to my husband for 19 years. We have six children that range in age from 18. My oldest just graduated from high school and is moving out to go to college next month oh. uh, and then we have a six-month-old so we have this really wide range of children in our home my first four are biological and our youngest two were adopted oh that's so cool so I feel really blessed yeah we have open adoptions with their birth families and keep in contact and we love them they're great people it's that been a huge awesome. blessing to our families um, I have my bachelor's degree in social work I worked at uh, the hospital in Provo, Utah for a few years as the women's and children's social worker. I specifically did labor and delivery and mother, baby and pediatrics, which I loved, loved that job so much. That's Um, awesome. Yeah, it was, it was a really great job. And I left that job when I found out I was pregnant with my third baby, which is when I experienced postpartum depression. (laughs) So it kind of leads into that. Yeah. 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 Um, do you feel like those were connected, like leaving your job? And I think, I think there were a lot of life changes into, that mm-hmm. happened in that year that contributed a lot to it. Um, what would those be? Yeah. Life changes. Right. So our third baby was a surprise. We weren't, we were not prepared for this baby. And I had a three-year-old. Well, she was two. I had a two-year-old and a eight-month-old when I found out I was pregnant for the third time. And I couldn't get excited about it really I my office was right across from the newborn nursery at the hospital and I remember walking into work that day after taking the pregnancy test and staring at all those babies and thinking I have a baby I can't have another baby I just had a baby um and I I have c-sections and so I felt like I just recovered from that and now I was gonna do this again not I mean not even completely Mm -hmm. right she was eight months old so um at the time I was our main source of income my husband was still in school and and working but when we found out that this third baby was on the way we knew we needed to make some changes at that point we were just paying for daycare you know for three kids and so he switched his schedule around got a full-time job and went to school at night and I quit and and was home which should have been awesome because I'd wanted to be a stay-at-home mom right all of these things in my head I'm thinking I can imagine all of the the reasons or ways you could have felt shame about not being excited or not, you know, here I am with all these babies and people want babies and I'm feeling not totally sure about this one. And now I get to stay home and I'm feeling like, I'd kind of rather be at work still. Like all these reasons. So many things, so many things, because I did, I had friends that were struggling with fertility issues and you feel guilty and I'm like, surprise I'm pregnant and yeah I felt guilty that I wasn't Mm -hmm. excited about it 
and it, and and also felt guilty that I mean I was excited to be a stay-at-home mom but I it was hard for me to leave right. that job I loved that job right. so uh, there I was I was home he was gone from 8 a.m. till 10 p.m. every day and I just kept trying to get excited we found out we were having a boy which should have been really excited I had two little girls so you know to get this boy after two girls was exciting and I just trying to kept trying to get pumped up about it um and I kept telling myself as soon as he's born they're going to hand you this perfect sweet baby you're going to feel that bond and that love and it's all going to be okay well I went to the hospital had the baby they handed him to me and I looked at him and I didn't feel that I didn't feel it which I I had felt it with my girls so it was a uh odd feeling and right away he was colicky Mm. and I remember one day I'd sent him I'd asked the nurses to take him to the nursery for just a couple hours so I could sleep I was recovering from a c-section and 15 minutes later they brought him back to me and they said he can't be in here he's crying he's he's messing up all the other babies they're all fussing and so here you need to take him you're like oh thank you and I my thought was the nurses don't even like my baby you know like I was having a hard time bonding and and they don't even like him and so that it just something was off from the very beginning so we brought him home and there I was with three kids under three my husband was gone all day we had a two-bedroom apartment we had one car and he would take it because he was doing his thing I just felt so trapped with this screaming baby my three-year-old was super strong-willed she wanted to be an adult Mm. (laughs) and so we were having these power struggles like most three-year-olds right like most three-year-olds but i'm just like she's so nice (laughs) three's worse than two (laughs) i totally agree with that but she's and she grew up to be she's my 18 year old now and she is so awesome because she's so independent but they're so mature but trying to be independent yeah it's sort of this push and pull and they get frustrated when they can't do things by themselves but they really want to when she couldn't drive the car it was a bad thing you know yeah. at the age of three at the age of three and yeah. so and it, it was these p- constant power struggles and oh. then my poor 18 month old whose world had just been rocked by this right. new brother so it was hard and he screamed all day oh. and I just felt myself going darker and darker and darker and I didn't feel like I could tell anybody because of all the things I oh my gosh, I should have been more responsible and hadn't gotten pregnant with this third baby all of a sudden, right. you know. I, um, like I said, I had friends struggling well, We go through things. those lists in our heads, yeah. right? Yeah. And we're also like, and, like, you're not really sure what's safe, right? Right. You're not sure who you can tell and how to even bring that up yeah. in a yeah. safe way that's not totally humiliating. Exactly. And this was this was in 2005, and this this topic wasn't not a even thing a people talked about. No. It was a, it was a new thing. Brooke Shields had just had a baby she had written a book about it and she was on her tour promoting this book and that was really the first i had heard someone actually talk about it yeah Mm -hmm. and so that was that was my first i mean i should have known this like i i worked in mental health but i had struggled with kind of like the baby blues with my girls and it it had had cried a little bit and it was just you know but it's just i would tell myself what's the adjustment because having a baby regardless that adjustment is hard right and so I kept thinking this will go away this will go away and instead it just kept getting worse Mm -hmm. and I kept I kept getting just my mind kept going darker and darker and he despite the fact that he screamed all day he would sleep at night Hmm. 
So he would be asleep at night, but I couldn't sleep at night. My mind just could not turn off. And I just had these racing thoughts of just, you know, awful racing thoughts. And, and I would wander around our apartment while everybody else was asleep and just feel like I was going crazy. And, and I didn't feel like I could tell my husband either. I mean, he knew I was having a rough time, but he didn't know the extent of it. He didn't love school. And I was afraid if I told him that would be his reason to drop out Mm, and he needed to finish. I needed him to get through school. And so I didn't tell him and I, I didn't, I didn't really tell anybody. And finally it got to the point where I would just find myself laying on my living room floor while all of us were crying (laughs) for different reasons. The baby was screaming just because that's what he did all day. The three-year-old was crying because I didn't let her drive the car. I don't know. She was crying about (laughs) something at that point. And um, and then the 18-month-old just was having a rough time because everyone else was having a rough time. And and we would all just be laying there crying. And I thought, okay, this this isn't normal. This has gone on too long. And how old was your baby at that point? Gosh, he wasn't very old. He, He was born the beginning of April. And this was probably end of May. Okay. So it had been a couple months. Okay. And uh, so I thought, I'm going to talk to my doctor. I'm going to go see my doctor. Um, and he was awesome. Like, he was so good. He, he said, yeah, we've got to get you. We'll get you on some medication. You need to tell everybody no. Just you take care of you. You tell any, anybody that asks you to do anything, no matter what it is, even if because people would ask me to do things that on a normal day would be no big deal but to my mind that just would send me over the that's edge. interesting your doctor told you to say no yeah that's he, said, he that's said i will write you i will write yeah. you a note <laughs> and you can use me as an excuse my doctor says i can't do that right. he said for anything i remember um which just makes it it gives you yeah. the the okay right where right. we feel so I don't know. We have such a hard time, especially as like a caregiver. You want yeah. to be able to say yes. We all love to help the people. Time, right. 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 And you also have that like voice in your head that's telling you, well, if you help other people, it'll help you. But like there is a point, And I'm glad that your doctor gave you like mm-hmm. the license to say no. Yeah. You yeah. know? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. But in a way, I felt dumb because right. like, I remember I had been asked to sing at a birthday party and I and singing's not like singing scares me no matter what like I probably would have said no anyway but, <laughs> but now you had an excuse but now I had an excuse no. and so I said oh I, I can't do that and and they they didn't want to take no for an answer and I said my oh. doctor says I can't do this and they were like your doctor says oh, like, no. but I just like, that's like, all I need right no, now I can't like I singing things gives me anxiety anyway so right now like I no. might have a mental breakdown over this mm-hmm. So anyway, uh, he told me to tell my, like my bishop, you know, the leader of our, of our church unit that I needed to just not do anything. I needed to like, let go of all my volunteer responsibilities. And, um, so I did. So I went home and I made an appointment and I said, listen, I, you need to release me from everything. I can't, I can't take care of anybody except my, me and my kids right now. And he did, but I, I don't think he got it, you know, he yeah. he let he let it go but I felt really dumb and I felt almost like he was kind of patronizing I don't think he meant to be but that's how I but interpreted you're sensitive it. right you're right feeling yeah like I just want someone to say like oh my goodness like of course mm-hmm. no don't worry about it yeah. but it's kind of like okay that's fine yeah and you're like no I need like 
some major support yes, here yeah, I rather than really just realize. kind of letting it slide and be right. like, oh, that's okay. Don't and I, worry. part of it was on me because I wasn't being totally honest with the depth of my depression. Right. You know, I was kind of like, this is just kind of like having three kids is kind of hard, you know, right. when really I was suicidal. Right. <laughs> you know, and I didn't dare to say those mm-hmm. words out loud. And, um, well, and you wouldn't, I mean, there's a, there's a buffer too, right? About yeah. Who you would feel comfortable sharing that with right that much detail yeah. i guess i would yeah. say and i didn't feel comfortable sharing with anybody right anybody so that that was like my big secret mm-hmm. is that this is bad this is really bad okay i'm gonna ask a question if yeah. you don't want to answer this you don't have yeah. to you can just say no i don't really want to but i i think it's interesting because i think a lot of women with postpartum struggling with postpartum depression often think you know on the spectrum of suicidal thoughts so like on one side being like, oh, I wish I could just disappear mm-hmm. to like actually coming up with like thoughts or ideas or a plan of how right. you would actually do that. Were you somewhere in the middle of that spectrum or were you actually thinking about I had a plan. I did. had a plan. There were two specific times. At this point, I had the medication. I had the antidepressants, mm-hmm. but they, they weren't the right ones for, for me. You. And I never went back to my doctor to say these aren't working. I just kind of kept let it go going right Mm -hmm. and so two times specifically I remember sitting on my bed holding that bottle of of pills and thinking I'm just going to take the whole thing and I'll just go to sleep and it'll you know because it'll be it'll be over and and my because those thoughts in your head that are telling you your kids you're not being a good mom your kids deserve so much better right right you're just miserable you lay on the floor and cry all day you know, what, what good are you to these kids? And so, um, the first time my daughter walked into the room and it kind of just shook me and woke me up. I thought, well, I can't, I can't do it right now. (laughs) My husband doesn't come home till 10 PM and I can't leave these kids, you Mm -hmm. know, I can't be dead in the next room while they're doing who knows what. Mm. And so I, so I didn't. And then, uh, a few weeks later, again, it was on a Sunday. We were trying to get ready to go to church it had been a really hectic morning right church was close and so my husband had taken the kids and had left already and I was just finishing getting ready and feeling so overwhelmed and I felt like every time I went to church that that the bishop was just staring down at me from the stand thinking what a loser I was that I couldn't handle these three kids Mm. and he I really don't think he was he was a great guy this was just I was not in my right mind Right. right and uh and so church miss, was hard. I think when you're depressed, you misinterpret everything. Everything. Absolutely. I, I love that you just threw in everything. <laughs> I was going to say, like, things that aren't there. But yeah. really, it turns out to be everything. Any comment someone makes. You're just so, you're, so to it. you're just, you're not thinking clearly. And you're, you're really hurting. Yeah. And so you kind of, everything people say or do kind of just seems to hurt mm-hmm. for right. some reason. Right. Yeah. Right. And yeah, it's true. So, so I really don't want to paint him in a bad light because yeah. it was really me. No, and yeah, I, I totally get, we get it. Yeah. But anyway, but same thing, sitting on the bed with that bottle of pills. That was my plan. I was, because it was going to be painless. I was just going to And you go were alone. sleep and I was alone. But again, I just had that thought of, so, you know, when I don't show up at church in a little bit, my husband's going to come back and, and find me. And however terrible of a mother I think I am right now putting that kind of trauma on my kids I just thought no I can't I can't do that and so I just put the pills down and put on my shoes and went to church Mm. but at that time I finally 
got the courage to say something to my mom. Um, I don't have any family that live in Utah. They've all moved out of Utah. My mom mm-hmm. lives in Idaho, but she was visiting. And my husband was getting ready to go out of town for a weekend. And I was feeling really scared that he wasn't going to be there for the weekend. And so mm-hmm. I finally told her, Mom, I, I'm suicidal. Like, I'm having some scary thoughts. And she... I, I don't know that she did this, but I'm assuming this is what happened because all of a sudden I had this group of people. Um, my sister who lives in California called and said, I'm going to come stay with you while while your husband's gone this weekend. And she flew in and she stayed with me and we had a fun weekend. It was fun to have her there and she helped me with the kids and and got me through that weekend till he came home. And my, um, my cute little, um, how old was he? Gosh, 70... 77 maybe (laughs) um no he was older than that he was in his 80s anyway my grandpa my cute little 80 year old grandpa would come and pick me and the kids up and take us out to go do things just get us out of the house was he living he lived here in Provo nearby Mm -hmm. yeah and I guess my grandma had suffered from postpartum depression and so she she had passed away but he remembered her struggles how hard it was on her yeah that's really tender yeah I don't know okay where's the (laughs) shoes guys <laughs> yeah. And um so he would come and pick me up and, and and tell me, I know this is hard. I watched your grandma do this. This is really hard. And I had a few aunts too. Um but I think I think one of the things that really got me through was my cute youngest brother was going to Brigham Young University at the time we lived just right up the road. And he would come over in the evenings after classes. He'd just gotten home from an LDS mission to Brazil. And he would come over after classes. And he would take my screaming baby back into my bedroom and bounce him. And I remember hearing him sing songs to my baby in Portuguese while he would bounce him while he screamed. And I would be able to just make dinner with both my hands right. <laughs> and just have a break from the screaming baby. And the collection of those things got me through. And... um in December of that same year, we were able to move to a much bigger place, almost triple the space. And something about just having more room and I didn't feel so claustrophobic. And he was starting to outgrow that colic, so he wasn't screaming as much. And it finally just kind of dissipated over time. It finally just went away on its own. But when, um, when the time came, when I started having those feelings like, oh, I kind of feel like we're supposed to have another baby. And I was terrified because I knew that if I got even one step worse than I was, that I would go through yeah. with, with, you know, committing suicide. And so I, um, and I, how old was your baby when you started to feel that way? He was, he was probably two. Okay. Yeah. So it, it wasn't, I mean, I was really careful at that point because I yeah. didn't want any more surprise babies. We can't right. handle that right yeah. now. <laughs> um, but I, so before, I, before, you know, I went off birth control, I went and talked to my doctor again and I said, okay, the antidepressants last time that we did, they didn't work. And I'm so scared to have another baby. I feel like I want to have another baby, but I can't do that again. And so we came up with a plan and he said, we're not we're not going to wait. We're not going to wait to see if this happens again. So the day that I had him schedule C-section again, they brought me my pain pill and an antidepressant and I just started right on them. And I had the most enjoyable new baby experience that I'd had out of all of my kids. And I felt so sad 
I mean, I was happy, but I felt sad thinking I could have been, I could have enjoyed the tiny, I missed opportunity opportunity with these, with my first three. I mean, it was okay with my girls, terrible with my son. Mm -hmm. Um, and I didn't have to feel that way. And so I just enjoyed this fourth baby. It was so fun. I mean, I, I was tired and I was recovering and all the things that I was before, but I didn't have that hormone crash where I couldn't cope with life. Did they try a different medication this time? It was a different medication. And that's awesome that it worked yes. right off the bat because I know that a lot of moms have to try several different right. types before they find the one that's a good fit. Right, so. right. And I think, I mean, what I learned from that is to just continue, have a continuing conversation with your doctor about it, you know, not just go, it's not working. So, And that's hard when you've never done it before. Mm-hmm to know like oh well it's just not working i'm done right you know right and like i think a lot of us like do that just seems everything seems so much harder yeah and (laughs) like and you're i'm i can just imagine like oh but i don't want to make another appointment then i have to do something with my kids exactly you have all these reasons why it's just easier to stay where you are Mm -hmm. we didn't leave the house so painful right Right. i mean it's just to go out of the house with three tiny kids was a nightmare every time and trying to find somebody to watch them. I mean, I had people that would help, but it just, even the asking right. was hard. Right? Yeah. And so it was just easier to just right. lock ourselves in and just deal with it. Just hunker know? down. But, right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm so blessed that it did resolve itself um, because I know for so many women, that's not the case. And so I, I thought at that time, af- you know, after my second or after the, my fourth baby, my second son, after he was born, I realized this needs to be talked about because so many women feel so alone in this and the shame and the guilt and uh they they don't children are supposed to be a blessing right so we're supposed to be just so excited when these new babies come and and so you think something's wrong with you when there's when it's not the picture perfect then you start to say what have i done wrong especially with me yeah especially for first time moms even because I think you have a better picture of it, you know, when yeah. you're down the road, like, oh, this is just hard. This is, yeah. Yeah. But with, with, when it's your first baby, you just have this blissful, oh, this is going to be so awesome mm-hmm. picture. And then when it's not, you think something must be wrong with you. Yeah. And that's just, that's not the case. And I, I just, I've thought, I've got to reach out to people. I've got to talk mm-hmm. about this, get rid of the stigma so that people will get help and they'll realize they're not alone in this, that nothing's wrong with them and that they don't have to feel that way. And, uh, so I did. I started talking about it with neighbors and friends and things and just just sharing a little bit of my story mm-hmm. just to help them feel. And how did people react to you sharing? Was it usually prompted by like someone talking about it or someone being pregnant? Or, right. Like, it, having was usually, kind of a- it was usually like um, if someone was maybe pregnant or it, like their first pregnancy or whatever, you know, and we'd just be talking about things and I would just just bring up like you know it's so so exciting but but just so you know like this was my experience and I know it's a lot of a lot of other women have this same experience and I just want you to know it might not happen to you it might you might just feel so awesome and it might be great but if it does you can talk to me about it you don't need to be embarrassed to say I'm struggling and um, you need to ask for help don't be afraid to ask for help mm-hmm. uh, don't be afraid to go to your doctor and and I, there's such a stigma about medication even you know Absolutely. people are embarrassed to be on medication yeah. and and it's like you'd rather feel miserable than admit right. that you're on a medication or, or try taking a medication right right and I would just help them think you know if you were sick if, if you had diabetes yeah. or if you had something like you would take your medication and right. this is just a chemical imbalance in your brain and yeah. it doesn't have to be forever for some people it is. I think that's what people are afraid of right yeah that it, it's gonna be forever that I have to take this medication right and, 
I think it's easier to say it may not be, but if it does and it actually is helping you feel better, you probably won't want to right. not take it. Right. So well, we had another guest who was actually a nurse and she was like, you know, I was talking to one of my nurse friends and, and we said, you know, you have a thyroid problem. You're on thyroid medication exactly. for life. You don't say, okay, I'm going to take this until I start to feel better and then I don't need to take it anymore. So it's the same way with antidepressants. Like, why would I feel like if I can't get off of this that I've failed? Right. Because it's just another form like you said a chemical imbalance uh, it's helping illness. fix what's making you feel so miserable right yeah right so go whether just, it's your thyroid problem or like a whatever serotonin or whatever yeah, it is that exactly. you're struggling your body is having a hard time there's with. nothing wrong with being on it for the rest of your life no if it's working it's working right so you, you want to be able to function yeah no but so what, if it's uh, an interesting question not that we want to go on on this tangent but like why is that so hard like for us to just say and I think part of it is because mental illness isn't talked about enough right it's true it's and it's but it, it that's probably it because it's yeah. so hard to be like I like even there is I can't even think of another situation where if we knew something would was going to help that we would refuse that help right well and I think we don't want to be labeled as a crazy person who has to take a pill to live a normal life or weak right because yeah. I think you know when there's yeah. something or there's something about a fit feeling like a failure yeah. somehow and yeah. I think it's all wrapped up too in like motherhood right yeah right oh I think so, so I think weakness is a big a, yeah a big one well I think I think it's easier if something's physically wrong with your body to that you can look that. at it and see right yeah you know if you if you, an external sort of thing yeah or yeah to say that my doctor said you know it's my thyroid or right something. yeah but I think I think there's still such a stigma about mental illness that people think you're making it up people think you're just a wimp people yeah. you know just suck it up like oh, I can't mm-hmm. you just change your attitude yeah you know focus on the positive all yeah. those things that you, your brain isn't functioning that way you right. know it's not firing and those synapses aren't firing the right way and oh. so it's just like foggy yeah. it's not clear at all right right and you kind of end up having these thoughts and then they lead to other thoughts and it's like in a normal place you wouldn't those wouldn't be connected in that right. way and right. when you're in it that feels normal it feels totally normal mm-hmm, yeah. and it, you also feel sort of um well at least i did i felt a little angry or misunderstood when people would say well that's not the reality and i'd be like it is for it's me my reality if you could hear yeah. what's happening in here right right no. it's so true it's yeah. so true so i just yeah i mean I, I feel like my message is just ask for help don't be afraid to ask for help be patient with yourself when i had my fourth baby and i was feeling good i just was like you know what I don't care about anything else. My house can be a mess. Mm-hmm. I if people want to bring me dinner, I'm just going to say sure. Yeah. Like I'm just uh, I'm perspective just, changes. Yeah, I'm going to just lay low and not worry about anything and just enjoy this baby and take care of my kids and and I tell my husband every time we well with the the babies that we adopted, but this is the first year, it's a messy house year. Sorry. It just is because my focus is on them. It's hard to take care of everything else when you have a new baby and so it's a messy house here. That's I what just want to say how awesome that is because me personally, I get so caught up in having the clean house mm-hmm. that I'm beating myself myself up for not spending the time with my baby like I should. Like, right. why do I care so much about my house being picked up? I know that I feel better when my house is picked up, but I know that I would feel great if I sat down on the couch and held this baby. Mm-hmm. So I admire that so much. I have friends who have been like, I haven't regretted one minute of my messy house because I've spent so much time just absorbing this baby that's growing way too fast. And I'm like, why haven't I done that? Yeah, I think it's important to, to know your own limits. So if 
if having a messy house is going to make things worse for you, then ask someone to come help you. Well, like, because I think I'd beat myself up for spending more time cleaning than spending time with my baby. And later, in retrospect, I'd be like, man, why do I care so much about having a clean house? It's just going to get messy again anyway. Right. Right. So, and I think I think with the situation I'm in, I feel like I'm getting a do-over with this last baby at 40 years old. Oh. She kind of just came into our lives unexpectedly. And so I have this new perspective. You know, when I had four little kids, I just, I wanted everything to be perfect. I, I felt like it was going to go on forever and ever. And at this point in my life, as my eldest is moving out, I'm realizing how fast it goes. Yeah. And so with her, I mean, today was a messy house today, it, messy house day. I had things I was planning on doing and I don't know if she's teething or what, but she was just fussy today. She just wanted to be held. And so really truly all I did today was sit on the couch and hold the baby and I kept looking around at the messes that I wanted to be cleaning but I know how fast this goes yeah. and, and I know that it's not going to last forever and what a victory that you were right. that you decided I'm going to be here for her today because this is what she needs right and she doesn't care if my house is clean and neither does anybody else right. like and I won't have any regrets I won't no. I won't look mm-hmm. back and That's think awesome. I didn't hold her enough so Rachel after your you said with your fourth baby you went on medi- medication right away. Did you ever feel any dips in your mood or anything after? Yeah. So I I was really stable for that that year, and so I kind of just I shouldn't have. I probably should. Now I'm disclaiming this that you should go with your doctor. I I kind of just weaned myself off of it because I felt really good. I did know though that if I started to feel awful again, that I needed to go back on it. Um, and at, for a whole year, I felt really good. I think that, um, yeah, I had my first four kids so close together. I had them all within six years. And so I think just the fluctuation in hormones, you know, with being pregnant and then not being pregnant and then nursing and then being pregnant just over and over again for six years um, really just messed up that balance in my head. But uh, I had a good, you know, stretch of time where I wasn't pregnant or nursing or anything. And I started to just stabilize those those hormones started to stabilize again however a couple years later the depression was gone but I started to just deal with some major anxiety but I I didn't label it as anxiety I didn't realize that was what was going on because it felt different than what the postpartum depression had felt like Uh, it wasn't I wasn't suicidal I wasn't sad I wasn't just sitting around crying all the time I had plenty of motivation I just was really angry all the time at everything and I recognized that, you know, my kids, they weren't, they were just kids. They weren't Mm -hmm. doing anything extra naughty, but for, um, the things they were doing, my response or my level of anger towards whatever was happening, I recognized was way out of balance. And so at that point I went back to the doctor again and just said, I am so angry over nothing. (laughs) I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what's going on. And, and he recognized that as anxiety. And so he put me back on them. Say it was the same medication, but he he just had me go back on it again. And once again, I had that aha moment where I thought, Oh my gosh, why, why do I feel like I have to suffer? Why do I feel like I just have to make it through? I don't have to suffer. I, there's help, you know? And, and so again, for a few years, I stayed on that medication. I felt really great. And then, um, I had a good like five year stretch uh, after my fourth baby was born where everything really did just level out and I really started to just feel like myself again. And so I did go off uh, of the medication. I have it, um, I still struggle with anxiety uh, at times and I know I, I know what those feelings are. I know to label them as 
an anxiety attack at this point whereas before I, I didn't know exactly what was going on I just knew I was all of a sudden a mess over something um, but I know what my triggers are at this point and so I, I can anticipate those um, if I know I'm going to be around certain people that maybe are triggers I, I can anticipate that and so I have medication kind of on a, an as-needed basis yeah. um, but it, I but it's very rare it's very rare that I that I take it um, and I you know we when we adopted our there, there's five years between my fourth baby and then and our little boy that we adopted and I was nervous at that time because um there there are people who do suffer from like a postpartum depression as adoptive parents yeah it's it. it's very common it's very common yeah <clears throat> and I think they don't anticipate that because there's not that hormone that drop in hormones and things that brings on the depression but it's a major life change absolutely that can, that can trigger that and also one thing that uh, I think people don't realize when they have not adopted or when they're in the process you're just excited for it to happen but then the moment that it happens as you walk away walk out of a room with someone else's child there's this guilt and I mean you're excited for yourself but it comes at the total heartbreak and expense of another woman and I think that that is unanticipated for a lot of people too and and that guilt can be so overwhelming and that sadness for this person especially when you have spent a few months getting to know them and getting to love them when the actual delivery takes place, you have these really conflicted emotions because like I said, you're, you're, this is something you've wanted. You're excited for you, but you're devastated for them. Yeah. And so for the, how hard that for must how, be. For, it's awful. It's awful for them. Yeah. And so I think there's just a lot of emotion that you're not anticipating as an adoptive parent. And, and I think that too, like for these birth moms who, who are, have placed their babies, they um, definitely go through I mean, they have that hormone drop, right? Mm -hmm. So they can suffer from postpartum depression. Just, I mean, they've had a baby, right? And they don't have that baby there with them, but those hormones are still raging. And and so it, you know, it it can, you can both be suffering. Both of these moms can be suffering from a depression caused by this baby, not caused by the baby, but you know, just the situation, the life change. Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, for adoptive parents, they reach out too, like know that that's a thing because, because I think most people don't, don't yeah. really know about I, that I mean, right and they yeah. don't anticipate it they're just they're just excited and then boom this life change happens and it, it can be a real hard adjustment so when I had when I was going through this you know so many years ago it was I had just I, my house was full of babies and I just it was hard it was so yeah. hard and at this point I have a lot of I have teenagers yeah, and so I have hands. a lot of helping hands there's always somebody around for me to say can you hold her for a minute while I take and a shower and your husband's not in school and he's anymore, not in school and you're not anymore. in a two-bedroom apartment exactly I mean life circumstances yes. have definitely changed mm-hmm. which lightens that load yeah. for sure all of it right the perspective you've gained right since then right through mothering all, all the other children right yeah. right and I'm I'm a much more relaxed parent at this point too after five kids you know I'm just kind of know what to expect I mean every child's different You've relinquished all control yeah <laughs> she's gonna kidding. do what she's gonna do and I do have the perspective of this will not last forever right yeah and and I I mean I remember with my first baby not sleeping and being home and my husband would come home from work and I would just hand him the baby and I would just go in the room and cry yeah. because all I wanted to do was sleep. I just wanted to sleep through the night and mm-hmm. I knew that wasn't going to happen. And I thought I'm never going to sleep again. I have 18 years of never sleeping again. And that's, you know, that's, we know that's not the way it is. 
but um so it I felt that it way. felt that way yeah. and 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 then I kept having babies and so I was <laughs> I wasn't sleeping for like six years you know it's funny when you're in that fog you use kind of those superlatives always never mm-hmm. it's like the absolutes right yeah. right like it's always this way or it's I'm never gonna go to bed and yeah. sleep yeah. all night yeah so your your perspective changes and I I know my time with her is so short that it's, I'm going to blink and she's going to be my 18 year old moving out of the house. And I don't want to miss a second. Uh, this year I've just, I've spent this whole, her, my oldest daughter's whole senior year, like looking back at her life. Every time I'd look at her, I would just see my little girl and I would think, Oh, did I, did I take enough time with her? Did I appreciate that enough? No, I didn't because I was in that mental fog and I just wanted to, I was enduring every day. Um, and I, I definitely have a different, perspective at this point um one thing though that I did want to mention that helped me so much when I was struggling uh with the anxiety after after my fourth baby was exercise and I don't I don't know if people have talked about that before but I um just started a regular exercise routine and I started teaching I would teach I taught a kickboxing class twice a week and going and punching bags was like the best thing I could do for my anxiety because I'd have this day with the kids and yeah and then I would just go I'd put on my boxing gloves and I would just go punch and kick bags and just let it all out and, and just to get that be good adrenaline <laughs> and the endorphins going yeah. and you're, yeah. yeah we have heard that from a few yeah. other moms that that was yeah. their saving grace was that they just had that to look forward to and as long as they made sure they got in like at least a half an hour Mm -hmm. several days a week that that was like okay that's my me time I have that to look forward to yeah it's so true it's so true and now now I run and so that run that's like that's when I can think that's just my me time I go out and go for a run and if I ever feel if I ever start to feel like I'm slipping back into the foggy uh, the anxiety or the depression if you know winter time is still really hard for me I do definitely have seasonal affective disorder like I need sunshine mm-hmm. yeah. and and winter is rough and so I do typically take my medication very regularly during the winter until the sun comes back out so Rachel if you could go back to that day when your family was at church and you were home alone and you were contemplating suicide if you could help someone else who's in that same situation what would you say to them I would just remind them how needed they really are you know that 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 moment in time is just a moment right and that the sun I mean this this is my mantra in the winter the sun is going to come out again and that's what I remind myself all winter when I feel awful that this is just for a moment in time the sun is going to come out and that suicide is I mean, it's kind of a quoted thing, but it's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. Mm-hmm. And, and that, I mean, that, that's what brought me out of it was recognizing that my family still needed me. Mm-hmm. That, and that, that the trauma that I would inflict upon them by ending my own life was more than whatever kind of crappy mom I was being at the moment, right? right. And, and that I was needed and that I was loved. And, and um, I mean, I, I went through it. My, my dad passed away from cancer when I was 12 and so I as a kid I knew what it was like to lose a parent and I thought why would I purposefully inflict that upon my children or upon my spouse because I I can get through this and I'm not going to do that to them because that was a that was hard growing up without a dad and 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 that what you know was an was not an intentional thing he was sick but so why would I purposefully inflict that upon someone and so I think um just knowing this is temporary, just just hold on, 
just hold on life gets better it's gonna get better just you just gotta make it through this foggy mucky yucky time um but but there's good things ahead yeah yeah i love that thank you so much you're welcome it's been so nice having you i've loved hearing your perspective and just we can't thank you enough for coming and amy thank you for helping me you're so welcome co-host happy to be here (laughs) thanks guys thank you for listening to the rising phoenix podcast if you feel like you can relate and would be open to share your story with us, please email us at risingphoenixpodcast at gmail.com. For more information on local and national resources for pregnancy and postpartum health, visit www.postpartum.net or www.psiutah.org. We are recording from the Stone Sheba Podcast Studio in Provo, Utah. Check them out on Instagram for more info on our podcast and others. Thanks for listening.